digging in the dirt. Stop digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, farming, gardening, and food. Welcome, everyone. My guest today on Digging in the Dirt is Peter Linderoth. He's the Director of Water Quality for the Save the Sound organization. That's the Long Island Sound. So since our listenership lives on both sides of this great body of water, I thought we'd find out a little bit more about it and its health. And Peter is here today because it just so happens that Long Island Sound report card has been released by Save the Sound. It just came out, and we're going to find out what the Save the Sound has to say about the health of our Long Island Sound. For those of you who are over there in Long Island and those of us over here in Connecticut. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yep. So maybe we should set this up first with sort of a description of what the sound is. I mean, what's its parameters? It runs from the city out to Block Island or Fisher Island or what? And then yeah, what, right. what does it entail? Yeah, no, that's a great point. So Long Island Sound um, is an estuary. I just want to point that out. A lot of times people talk about, hey, we're going to the ocean. We're going for a swim in the sea. Long Island Sound is an estuary. It runs from New York City, where that exact line is is somewhat arbitrary. We typically say from Hell's Gate in New York City, all the way out east um, to, like you said, Block Island and Block Island Sound would sort of be the end on the eastern portion. And of course, that's a fairly um, large body of water. Um, I think it's over 100 plus miles if it's just a straight shot. And then when you think about it, it's over 600 miles of coastline encompassing Connecticut, Westchester, New York City, Nassau, and uh, Suffolk County and Long Island. What makes it a estuary and not a bay? Well, it's an estuary more so not an ocean. So an estuary is a meeting place between saltwater and freshwater. So Long Island Sound gets um, all its saltwater from, well, I don't even need to give you a hint. Where do you think it gets all its saltwater from? Right out there by Block Island, you know, from the Atlantic Ocean. Sure, yeah, the Atlantic Ocean. I guess I could have let you struggle with that a little bit. (laughs) Uh, It gets its saltwater from the Atlantic Ocean, and then it gets its freshwater from um, the rivers and groundwater that flow into it. Over 90% of the freshwater that comes into Long Island Sound is from the Connecticut River, the Housatonic, and the Thames. Um, But there's hundreds of other smaller rivers and streams that flow into Long Island Sound. And of course, groundwater, which is um, something maybe more of interest to the people on the Long Island side, since they don't have quite as many rivers as uh, the North Shore of Long Island Sound, um, also brings in freshwater to the Sound. So where the Atlantic Ocean will have a salinity um, of anywhere from like 35 parts per thousand, give or take. Long Island Sound is more along the lines of 25, 23 parts per thousand, maybe 30 as you get really close to the Atlantic Ocean on the eastern um, side. So it's really the salinity um, that kind of defines it, that saltwater, freshwater meeting point. Ah, I see. So the name of your organization is Save the Sound, and you have a report card that just came out about the sound to let us know about its health and what we can do about it if it's unhealthy. But I guess the question is, why do we have to save the sound? Well, 
Okay. So I grew up on the sound and I'm sure a lot of the people, maybe you as well, that are listening today grew up on the sound. It's just a wonderful, wonderful um, piece of water. That's definitely worthy of protecting, restoring. Um, it's incredibly um, biologically diverse. It's home to countless marine species. There's uh, over 170 known species of fish. There's sea turtles, seals. You've probably heard more about whales that have been coming into the sound lately, which is a really encouraging sign for ecosystem health. Dozens of species of migratory birds. So needless to say, it's very, very important for wildlife. Um, it's also really important just for recreation. Um, people enjoy getting out on the sound. They like fishing. They like swimming, boating. Um, it's an economic driver. It brings in anywhere from $17 billion to $30 billion a year um, in um, economic and ecosystem services, countless jobs. I mean, it's at the center of our way of life if you live on the shoreline. And a lot of people come to visit it as well. So definitely worthy, just as any other waterway, really, but worthy of protecting, restoring, and uh, just keeping it really diverse with wildlife. Um, and it just offers so many, so many services um, to us. So it's definitely worth protecting and restoring. Um, you mentioned the report card. The report card hones in specifically on the environmental or ecological health. So when we issue those grades, it's specific to ecological health. So how's it doing? Is it able to support the marine life that we like to see um, inside of it. It doesn't have as much to do with human health, but I'm sure you'll have some good questions on that. So I'll, I'll kick it back to you for a second. Sure. No. Well, I saw the site where the report card is, and I also saw the other site that you have, which is soundhealthexplorer.org. That's full of lots of incredible information for people. I mean, it's very like interactive because it says, is it, is my water fishable is my water swimmable that's kind of cool information to have in one spot and and so is that the intention is to let the public see what's going on in, in real time absolutely i wouldn't say it's real time though so let me i'll break it down a little bit uh, maybe we could start a little bit more with the report card so which okay. is included in sound health explorer excellent um, so we're looking at ecological health based on data that's collected in previous years so we just released the 2020 long island sound report card it includes open water grades. So for segments of the open water, and I'd encourage everyone to look at it so they know what I'm talking about later, but it runs from the um, Eastern Basin all the way into the Western Narrows by New York City. There's five um, regions that are graded. Those grades are based on um, agency data, by the way, collected by the Connecticut Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, uh, New York City Department of Environmental Protection, and the Interstate Environmental um, Commission. They're out in the open water collecting data year round, um, really outstanding data set that, that goes back over a decade. And what we've done with that data set is aggregated it and then graded it um, with a technical advisory committee. That's a, a group of stakeholders around the sound. So those grades weren't just generated by Peter Linderoth at Save the Sound or someone else. It was a very collaborative process to make sure there was lots of buy-in. And so those, um, and consensus really is the correct term to make sure that those grades really did represent open water ecological health. So that's on the Sound Health Explorer. Um, and we've been releasing, this is our third release of the report card, though there were some previous um, by the University of Maryland. Um, this is our third. And we've been traditionally releasing open water grades. What's new this year um, is that we also are including the bays. You mentioned bays um, and the embayments, which are the coastal recessed areas along the margins of Long Island Sound, where many of us interact with the sound, right? Like usually when people, I'm talking with people, they say, yeah, I'm going to the sound. They're usually going to their harbor, or their local bay or their local beach, um, not like out to buoy 23 in the middle of the sound or something like <laughs> that. 
So incorporating um, grades for the bays has been a goal of Save the Sounds for, for years. It really spurned the development of the unified water study. So these grades are based on data. That's an important point to remember. And the unified water study is now fully funded by the EPA. There's 23 current groups. For the report card, there are 22. But now we're at 23 water quality monitoring groups monitoring the water in uh, 39 bays around Long Island Sound. And those data generate the grades that you see um, in the bays and harbors. So I'd encourage people to go on to Sounds Health Explorer, look at the open water grades, look at the trends that we've calculated, statistical analyses on are they improving, declining these open water segments, but also pull it open and look at those bay grades. But definitely I'd encourage people to get on Sound Health Explorer, check out the report card grades, um, which which are one facet. And then we also have beach grades, which gets more to your swimmable. So where the report card is assessing the health for for marine life, um, the beach grades that are on there are assessing human health. How safe are these beaches for us to be swimming at? It's not meant to be real time. Um, It's really important for people to rely on their beach managers for real time beach closures and things like that. It's more of a historical analysis of how does this beach do over the last decade with um, beach data on pathogen indicator um, bacteria. So... The report card that just came out, it uh, comes out every two years. All report cards come with grades, good grades and bad grades. So yeah. why don't we go over a few good grades and bad grades? I mean, I don't want to shame anybody in their area, but I would like them to do something about it possibly. So yeah. why don't we start with bad grades? Is, is there something that's really a problem right now along the coastlines of the Long Island Sound? Yeah. So in those bays that I pointed out, there's actually quite a few that are receiving a C or lower which we would say is challenged, right? So I think only about 44% of the bays and bay segments are getting a B or above. So that leaves space for um, improvement. You can see the oranges and reds and yellows along the coastline. The interesting thing about that, though, is it doesn't follow the same east to west gradient of water quality that the open sound does. So we have about 12 years of open water grades now in Sound Health Explorer, and they all follow an east to west Um, gradient with the great water, like really good, great water quality supporting marine life in the eastern sound in the open waters. And then um, the F grade, which has been um, traditionally in the western narrows, um, and it really has maintained that gradient going between. So if you want to start with the poor, we can look at the western narrows, the eastern narrows, um, where we see some of the poor grades. Um, And 10 years back, even in the western basin, we saw some poor grades. We are seeing some improvements in some of those basins. We're really focusing in on the Western Narrows if you want to look at bad grades, because that jumps out as our F. Um, and it is. An F? Save the sound. You, you just said yeah, F? The West, and the Western Narrows gets an F. It does. Um, and that's like down by New Rochelle or further? No, it's even further west than that. Yeah, it's basically um, some people would call it part portions of the East River. Um, it basically okay. goes from um, the Throg's Neck to Hell's Gate. And so is that pollution, garbage pollution, oil pollution? Is it nitrogen pollution? What's the big issue there? Yeah, nitrogen pollution. Um, Definitely nitrogen pollution is the big issue. As you go east to west in Long Island Sound, it's just more, there's more population density, uh, frankly. So you have more nitrogen entering the waterway. There's more wastewater Mm -hmm. treatment plants. There's just more stormwater that carries um, nitrogen and other pollutants into the sound. There's also less flushing with the Atlantic Ocean. Remember we were talking, I gave you that little question earlier about 
you know, where's our saltwater come from? When you go all the way into the western portions of Long Island Sound, they don't readily flush with the Atlantic Ocean, which brings in relatively clean water, ocean water. Um, they, they tend to be more, um, they can be more stagnated and not as impacted by the tides. And that's an issue as well. But really nitrogen, the report card does grade um, the impacts of nitrogen. So if you want to just kind of sum it up as one pollutant, we could and say that the nitrogen load in the Western Narrows greatly surpasses other portions of the sound. And it's just not as much water. I mean, it's a skinny section of the sound, too. So that nitrogen load is going to have a much bigger impact on it. I get it. And so what is or who is the culprit for all this nitrogen? Is it golf courses, people's lawns, or is there some industry that's causing the problem or all of the the above? Look, we really don't need to look much further than ourselves, right? Because wastewater treatment plants are treating our waste. So we don't need to call out the, the millions of people that live in New York City. I mean, all of us create nitrogen every day toilets, um, sinks, showers, all of that goes to wastewater treatment plants or on-site septic tanks. But in the Western Sound, mostly wastewater treatment plants and it's treated, but you know, even treated effluent has nitrogen in it. So it's not really a culprit as much as there's just a lot of people living there. And of course, you know, it's a wonderful place to live. Um, And if there's people living in that area, they can advocate for more nitrogen reduction to see healthier waters and certainly save the sound does. We're, we're pushing for um, further ratcheting down of nitrogen from wastewater treatment plants that, that go into the Western Narrows and from New York City. One of the things I do want to point out, too, though, is that while it is getting an F, the Western Narrows does receive an F, it is statistically in some cases improving. So think of it as it started off as a zero, quite literally, 10 years ago, and now it's closer to like a 48, 49 F. So when you think about it that way, we are seeing some improvements. It's just a challenging area um, of the sound where we'll have to make further reductions in nitrogen um, to get out of that red zone. Yeah. And my experience from talking to all these people on my show is that, boy, if we really did stop some of our bad habits, nature, along with some help from us, can repair itself fairly quickly. And and that's what we want to do, right? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, In the case of the um, open waters, while wastewater treatment plant discharges make up like really the bulk of the nitrogen going in, we can all take actions. And that's that's highlighted in the report card as well. Actions that people can take. So obviously advocating for upgrades to sewage treatment plants is something we can all do at public meetings. If we're not happy with the water quality, we can advocate for upgrades to sewage treatment plants. But, you know, other other things we can do is preserve living shoreline. We can create more green spaces reducing stormwater. Now, you could do that through big green infrastructure projects like bioswales, which redirect and treat water before kind of moving it away from impervious surfaces like roads and and parking lots. Um, But people could, you know, if they have the option in their own yards or spaces, they could have rain gardens, which essentially just let stormwater infiltrate down into the ground so it doesn't just run off directly to the sound, carrying with it pollutants from the road or fertilizers, like you mentioned. Some people put um, rain barrels out to catch the water that comes off their roofs and then irrigate um, things with it, maybe water their, their garden beds with it. Another thing people really should stay on top of is maintaining their on-site septic tanks, making sure they're pumped out, making sure they're operating properly. Um, those are all things that people can really do, actionable items that will will um, show improvements. And those will help the open sound, certainly. But some of those things can really make impacts locally. So when you look at another poor performing um, grade, and then maybe we'll talk about some of the good stuff too, please. But sure. another another area that got a poor grade, which was kind of surprising, I suppose, was uh, Wickety Quack Cove. 
Now, I love just saying that one, Wickedy Quack Cove. That's, that's our name. easternmost. Yeah, that's good, right? That's our easternmost bay um, in Connecticut. And it's, uh, you know, it's east of Stonington and, and uh, pretty far out there, basically on the Rhode Island border. It gets a D minus. It wow. gets a D minus and it's in the eastern sound. So remember earlier I said the eastern basin is an A plus, right? It's great flushing. It's got really great water quality in the eastern portion of the sound. But the local margins and those craggy harbors and bays and coves, they're heavily impacted by local sources of pollution, which could be coming from um, wastewater treatment plants too. But a lot of times those are what you were talking about, where we have fertilizer coming in and, and maybe there's some tight restrictions that don't allow um, flushing like Wickedy Quack Cove or septic systems all along the shoreline that are bringing nitrogen directly in, um, stormwater coming in and, and decreasing water clarity and bringing in other pollutants. And the actions that I mentioned earlier, while they can impact the open sound, certainly they can go a long way for the smaller recessed areas like the bays and, and harbors. Um, that are getting poor scores. So important for people to take note of that and uh, take a look at the grades and take a look at the actions that they people can take to improve and, water quality. And probably keep an eye on their lawn guy. <laughs> so he's <laughs> paying attention the to the rules, right? I mean, yeah, there are laws about using nitrogen on your lawn uh, too much. There are, yeah, there's laws. There's just good practice too. That's another thing that we put out there. We, we, a lot of um, times people over fertilize, they'll be applying fertilizer more than they need. I mean, we recommend one, two at most Memorial Day and uh, Labor Day applications. Maybe if you need to, Um, people can ask their lawn guys or take it upon themselves to mulch their leaves. So, when the leaves fall in the fall, they're loaded with nitrogen. When you're out there cutting your grass towards the end of the season, just cut the grass and the leaves at the same time, mulch it in. And, th- and that's just right there. That's a great nitrogen source. And then you don't have to apply inorganic fertilizers. And to that point, keep an eye on the fertilizers that we're using. Try to use organic. It's got a much slower release time. It, it, it doesn't get washed away as quickly in rainstorms. Um, so these are small things that people can do or suggest to their lawn services that can make an impact. Yeah, good point, Kevin. And also phosphates too. I mean, that's another thing that people don't realize. The NPK that we're throwing down in gobs is, uh, is all draining off. And we'll talk about that in a second. I just want everybody to know we're talking to Peter Linderoff. He's the director of water quality for the organization Save the Sound. So what are you worried about with the nitrogen and chemical runoff and everything? Are you worried about eutrophication? I love saying that $3 word. So tell us what eutrophication is. And is that what the end result of some of this um, these practices is? Yeah, eutrophication is um, eutrophic. Eutrophication is excess uh, nutrients in a waterway. Um, the opposite would be oligotrophic, which is like not a lot of nutrients in a waterway, which you can see in places like Lake Tahoe, right? But um, eutrophication is a problem. That's excess nutrients in, in a waterway. So too much nitrogen specifically in salt water can be a problem or in brackish water, like our Long Island Sound estuary. Um, it can cause algal blooms. And those can be um, in the form of phytoplankton, which is, you know, small plants basically floating in the water. Um, and those are the kind of things where you look out and it might look like, a, you know, like the whole bay is bright green or kind of a rust color. Um, those are phytoplankton blooms. Those are a problem. And I'll explain why in a second. But another thing that I think people should remember is that algae also includes seaweed. And in shallow waters, um, you can get phytoplankton blooms, sure, but you can also get mats of seaweed, nutrient-loving seaweeds, which are a problem. And when you get these blooms, a couple things can happen. One, excess plants produce 
excess oxygen during the day. So during the day, if you have a lot of plant matter and algae matter in the water, it can almost look like the water is bubbling because it's so loaded with oxygen. But then there's the dark side of photosynthesis, which our soundkeeper Bill Lucy kind of termed. And that's something not a lot of people realize is that plants produce oxygen during the day, but they use it at night. So if you have these three foot mats of seaweed and these huge blooms of algae at night, they can literally suck oxygen out of the water, which can be incredibly detrimental to marine life, causing fish die-offs and marine life die-offs. And if it doesn't get that far, it also just puts a really additional stressor. It's almost like that bay is panting for life every day mm -hmm. um, in the shallow waters. Something mm -hmm. that occurs more often in the open water is you get excess nitrogen, you get these large phytoplankton blooms, not as much seaweed, right? In the deep portions of Long Island Sound, but you do get these blooms and they'll die off and sink to the bottom. And then as things start to eat them, um, it'll, they'll suck up oxygen in the process. So in the open water, what we typically see is a stretch, unfortunately, a stretch of hypoxia or low oxygen that can you know, it can be around for a week or longer, um, typically in the Western Sound and the bottom waters, but it, it's very harmful for marine life. And mm -hmm. some people were around in the 80s. I certainly was. And I remember when Long Island Sound and the Western Sound essentially died. I'm from the Western Sound. I'm from um, Fairfield. And I remember, you know, early 80s when lobsters were crawling out of the water because they couldn't get any oxygen and thing, it was just a dead zone. Sure. Unfortunately, it's been improvements since then, thank goodness, but there's a lot to do still and we need to stay on top of it, um, especially with climate change. I just read the story about Biscayne Bay and they, the, the fish, everything was coming up and gasping for air and they were, and the politicians were flooding it with water and they were just doing stupid stuff that they, if they had done something earlier, they might have changed the problem. Instead, now Biscayne Bay is dying from all the, the, the growth that's inside the bay. That's right. Yeah, it's a terrible, terrible thing to behold. You know, I've worked on the water for quite a few years and I've seen it firsthand, you know, thousands of fish dying and, and it's gasping terrible. at the surface. Yeah, we don't want it here either. <laughs> that's no, why no, we want to I mean, take care of it. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's what new, uh, nitrogen can do. And then, you know, stormwater also brings other pollutants along. Um, water clarity can be greatly impacted from stormwater, which reduces um, the ability for like beneficial type plants like eelgrass and things like that to grow in Long Island Sound. So we definitely want to curtail um, pollutants, obviously, and, and protect places that are doing well and then restore places that are performing poorly in terms of water quality. That's important to remember, Kevin. Um, it's not all about, and it's so easy, and I do it all the time to talk about, you know, what, what what's performing poorly. It's important to protect what we have as well and maintain mm -hmm. um, the bays that are doing great in terms of ecological health and use them as a model for other bays and where they can be. I agree. Now, I remember years and years ago, I want to just touch briefly on it, that we had no oysters were gone and clams were gone. And so I would imagine mussels are gone, too. I mean, it was really bad for a while. How is that industry doing? Are they bouncing back? I read some positive stories here and there. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of positive stories. Um, that there were a few different causes. One, when the Western Sound tanks, that was obviously terrible. And there's still improvement for um, shellfish and mollusks, so oysters and mussels and, and, uh, and the like in the Western Sound, which which tends to be um, murkier and there's more just sediments and 
down by rivers. They carry a lot of just stuff that settles on oysters, which makes it difficult for them to survive. But the industry as a whole has bounced back. I know that there were some hits due to COVID, just like a lot of other businesses experienced. But as a whole, it's doing pretty well. And what a great business for Long Island Sound. I mean, aquaculture in general, when you talk about that kind of work, I mean, maintaining and doing it properly, it's just they provide an ecosystem service alone, right? The shellfish do that are out there filtering the water and providing habitat. So when it's done properly, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, it's an important thing economically too. So yeah, they're doing okay. Although I do know that there were some hits due to COVID-19. Sure. Um, and then there were uh, dermos and some other um, things that impacted um, oysters maybe 10, 12 years ago now. And, you know, those kind of things just need to be monitored and got to keep an eye on them. Yeah. But yeah, as a whole, bouncing back, I mean, I personally go out, I, from Fairfield, I live in Greenwich now and I'm out every season um, raking up clams and, and making a good or three good patches of clam chowder with clams from Long Island Sound. Yeah. I love my oysters. We're talking to Peter Linderoth. He's the director of water quality for Save the Sound, getting all kinds of good information. Um, we have like five minutes left, so I want to talk now about what people can do. I wanted to know what Bridgeport is doing. How's, how's Bridgeport's scorecard? It was because we're right there in Bridgeport. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Rock Harbor um, is in the study. Bridgeport Harbor, not yet, but um, Ash Creek Conservation um, Association is our monitoring group contracted to do work in Black Rock Harbor. It's a fantastic group. Um, it, it involves the Bridgeport Regional Aquaculture School and their students, uh, but also um, board members from Ash Creek and a, and a local business that um, volunteers boat time. They're getting a D. Um, Black Rock Harbor is getting a D and it's stressed. Um, it is definitely stressed. It shows low levels of oxygen. Um, it does experience algae blooms. If you go to Sound Health Explorer, you can see um, we've assigned challenges. So we not only do we provide the actions that people can take, um, but we do point out the challenges that we feel um, any given bay that's getting a C or below is um, being subject to. I don't have them memorized, unfortunately, but again, I'd really encourage people to go to Sound Health Explorer to check. I do know that um, stormwater is an issue there, as is nitrogen loading. Um, so we've provided some actions that people can take to improve the water quality in Black Rock Harbor. People and, should uh, get involved, right? Let's talk about that. What should tri-state residents, you know, if you're in Long Island or Connecticut, is the same thing or is there different issues they can address or should they go to soundhealthexplorer.org? Well, I'd highly recommend they go to soundhealthexplorer.org to check out those challenges, check out the actions. They can be pretty specific from bay to bay. But overall, like we were talking about, upgrading sewage treatment plants if they're in the area and discharging locally, that's a big plus. Preserving shoreline, you know, preserving um, healthy native shoreline, that's a big plus. And green spaces, reducing stormwater, that's just something everyone can do. Everyone in the Long Island Sound watershed can reduce stormwater some way or another, and that will have benefits to local waterways. Mm -hmm. um, and maintaining septic systems is important, too. Um, it's really easy to let many years go by and not notice that there could be an issue on with a septic tank. And like you pointed out a couple times, fertilizer, you know, talk to your lawn services and see what they're doing. I mean, recommend that they not apply as much fertilizer. Ask them not to. I mean, people are paying them to do that work. Sure. Um, and cutting down on golf course fertilizer and places like that, too, can make a big, big difference. Sure. Fight the uh, pressure from your neighbors to have this perfect lawn with all this fertilizer. So and, it's, uh, get it's, some clover back in there. That's right. That's right. Get some native plants and, and nitrogen fixers like clover. That's exactly right. 
Sure. So um, are there any events coming up, like garbage cleanups on the coastline or things like that? Is some of those things going to be planned here in the near future that people could get involved with? We did do um, an international coastal cleanup. Um, That time has has passed. We've been doing a lot of virtual events. I mean, I'd highly recommend people just tune in with Save the Sounds. If anything, just go to savethesound.org and check out our events. Um, We're offering as much as we can in these challenging times in terms of virtual events and and uh, limited kind of capacity events. Um, we just repl- released the report card, which we talked about. Um, so yeah, you know, tune in, check out what we have coming on. I don't have something right off the top of my head. I should. Okay. No, that's okay. Uh, they can go to, um, they can just go to the soundhealthexplorer.org. Also, you can get the 2020 Long Island Sound report there at uh, soundhealthexplorer.org. That's the best way to do this, right? Well, I really thank you for coming on and talking to me, Peter. This is really important stuff. I mean, we this is our own backyard here, so we should take care of it. That's right. That's right. Not to steal some words from the book, this fine piece of water, um, Dan Henderson's book, but it is. It's a fine piece of water, and it's worthy of protecting and restoring, and uh, let's all do our part. I think you're right spot on with that message. Thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Peter Linderoth, Director of Water Quality for Save the Sound. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. 